How's it going, everyone? My name is Scott Bennett, and thank you for tuning in to Episode 7 of the Third Decade Podcast. Today, we're going to touch on entrepreneurship and personal finance, which is a topic uh, a little out of left field, but I think it's really relevant and uh, applies to not only entrepreneurs as we speak through the topic with our guests, but also uh, anybody who, who has a fluctuation of income. At its very core, personal money management is taking the income that you have and matching that up with your expenses and saying, do I have anything left to save? Uh, am, am I making enough to afford my lifestyle? And so what happens if you're not too sure of how much is actually coming in? Uh, that's a real question a lot of people face. Entrepreneurs are definitely a subset of that group. They kind of do it by choice sometimes, and we understand that there are some people who are doing that out of necessity right now as well. So even if you're not an entrepreneur right now, but you're you're having a change or fluctuation in income, you know, maybe this, this talk will help you. Our guest today is Courtney Klein. She is a partner of the third decade. She's somebody who's been really a huge piece of what we're trying to build here. We were introduced almost two years ago now, and she is a social entrepreneur. Her passion in life is building organizations that empower others to create real social change. We heard about Courtney. We had some mutual connections. She heard about the third decade, and she has helped us build the program to what it is today and hopefully what it is for many years to come. And as we started thinking about different podcast episodes, I knew that we had to talk with her about how she manages her own money. So her, her story in itself is very, very interesting, but the money piece of that as it applies to the third decade is something that we don't really talk about in, in our program itself because we just simply don't have the time to, but is a big piece of a lot of people's lives. Courtney served as the co-founder and CEO of SeedSpot, a social impact incubator that takes ideas that young people have and try to help them put those out into the world. She lives to build social change and help others do so. In doing that, she has been an entrepreneur herself through her entire professional life and has had changes in income and unexpected expenses and kind of had to deal with that also raising a family and putting food on her own table. So we talked through what that looks like, some different strategies and her, her thinking through doing that in hopes that third decaders will hear that and be able to apply it some to their own life. Another big reason I wanted to talk with her is a huge goal of the third decade is centered around demystifying the topic surrounding personal finance and reducing the stress of not knowing how to manage your own money. And we've seen and know that if, if, if an individual can do that, their kind of brain opens up to do other things as well. Money is, is a top stressor still in most Americans' lives. And if we can remove some of that stress in the third decade, maybe somebody will, will look at creating their own business or uh, launching their own nonprofits that they dreamed about or something like that. And Courtney definitely has some insight into that as well. So here's my conversation with Courtney Klein where we talk about entrepreneurs and personal finance. I hope you all enjoy. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're really excited to talk with you and, and share a little bit of, of your background and stuff. So could you go into that a little bit for me and, and to your background, how you decided to be an entrepreneur and kind of got to this place you are now? Sure. Um, I actually didn't think I was going to be an entrepreneur when I started college. I thought I was going to go into broadcast journalism, um, but I traveled after my freshman year in college and 
saw firsthand some challenges in uh, the developing world and realized just the inequities and how many young people specifically were not educated about you know local global uh, challenges. And so I set out my senior year in college to start a nonprofit um, that would reconcile that and actually educate high school students across the country about global issues and then provide training and curriculum and support for young people to create positive change in the world. And so that kind of set me on my entrepreneurial journey. Um, sure. And I was there at that organization for several years and then went on to start a social impact incubator to help empower other entrepreneurs that had ideas to create positive social change in the world. And I led Seed Spot for the past eight years, uh, recently stepping down as CEO, and now kind of dabbling with a lot of entrepreneurial projects and, you know, areas that I'm passionate about. Um, but now I definitely define myself now as an entrepreneur and uh, I cannot imagine yeah. being in a nine to five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, after working with you, I, I can picture that as well. Your story is kind of familiar, I think, for a lot of people and, and, you know, being in college, seeing injustice and things like that and, and realizing that you want to you want to put your effort in your career, dedicate your life to some of that. Where you're a little bit different than I think most people is they'll go and and work for an established nonprofit or work for somebody um, that that's doing this work already. Whereas you said, I'm going to start something my, myself. Were you always so willing to take risks like that as you are right now, or, or is it something you kind of learned to do? Yeah, I think it came out of a bit of a necessity. I, I definitely looked and, and had there been an organization doing the work that I aspired to do, I, I certainly would have applied immediately for it. But yeah. I think for any entrepreneur, you find a problem in the world that's not being solved or not being solved effectively. And that I've often described it as like a raspberry seed. If you've ever had one like lodged near back molar, right? Like it's yeah. it's easy to put in a piece of gum and like pop it out. But if you're an entrepreneur, that that gnawing sense of something that's there that you, you kind of want to fight through and struggle through yourself and not take the easy way out. That to me is what it has always felt like when there's like a seed of a problem or a seed of an idea inside of me. And I, I've witnessed it in so many other entrepreneurs that you just can't quite shake it, right? It's not something yeah. you can easily remove or, or dismiss. And so for me, the catalyst for starting everything I've ever started is that like, you know, I, I just don't see a viable solution out there that I can stand behind. And so I, I feel compelled to start my own. So was that, was that seed, as you put it, was that kind of so powerful that, that the risk wasn't even thought about? Or was it something that you were just able to kind of swallow and say, all right, Over we're going to go? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. I think inherently with anything, there's, you know, risk and, and, and lots of risk, right? There's reputational risk, there's risk of failure, there's financial risk, there's yeah. identity risk. There, there's a whole lot of risk that you take. And, and yeah, I think for me, it's always the, the problem and the desire to solve the problem has always outweighed any potential risk. Um, and I don't know if that's just the way that I'm calibrated or if other entrepreneurs would answer the same, but there's also an excitement factor, right? Just as if you yeah. were, you know, bungee jumping or doing anything else, there's this kind of like free fall of like, well, here we go. Um, and, and I kind of thrive in that environment. And um, while it, it certainly can be stressful and <laughs> you have many failures along the way, there's an exciting part of it too that I think has always balanced out for me, the, the potential risk. For sure. And you touched on a little bit already, there's there's a bunch of different types, but you know the third decade we're focusing on creating a healthy financial life and and being financially confident for young people. So obviously starting on your own has a big financial risk to it, way more than if you were to just go join an established firm or something like that. How how does that kind of weigh in on your decision making process? The are the other risks that you alluded to 
kind of more important, do you think? Um, and has that changed at all as you've, as you've been more established? Yeah, I, mean, I think foundationally, you know, having a strong financial base or at least security uh, for anyone, you know, and, and however you define that and whatever dollar amounts or, you know, portfolio that might look like, there is something about just having a little bit of a safety net. And so when I started my first organization, um, I actually, I was initially told as I was graduating college that I'd received a $20,000 award um, from the university. And three weeks later, after I'd turned down all of my job offers that I was kind of holding as a backup, um, they disclosed that there had been a misreading on a computer screen when they called me, and it was only $1,000. So I went from having $20,000 in a fund that I was going to launch this organization with, a portion of which would pay my, you know, rent and bills to, to get me through for a few months, um, and the other side of it would invest in the organization. And here I am turning down all of my financial security backup offers to be found with $1,000. And so I think there was a real moment of, like, how much does financial security at this very moment matter to me versus how much am I willing to, to take a little bit of a leap and invest, you know, in, in the time and the journey to then rebuild some financial security. And so I worked multiple jobs. Um, I sold my car. Um, I made other sacrifices to still kind of pursue the dream, if you will. Um, and it balanced out in the end, right? After a year, we were able to raise um, almost a million dollars. I was able to pay myself then a full salary. Um, and so it balanced out, but there was definitely a, a lot of, you know, ramen and leaning on friends and, um, you know, going to the folks for dinner and, and things like that. But it, it was a part of piecing together what I trusted would, would be, you know, a better outcome. And, and any little bit I did have that I was, you know, earning from other jobs or the sale of the car, I, I just stashed away and knew that I had to stretch that out for a period of time until I had a full salary. Wow. I, I had no idea. We've been working for a long <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that it was that dire at the beginning. Um, pretty, pretty amazing. Obviously, you're not starting from scratch anymore. And you, right. you've established yourself as, as a real leader uh, within the social entrepreneurship world and community. But still, unlike most people, uh, I, I would think you're, because you are an entrepreneur, you know, um, that's what you do, your income can change drastically year to year or even month to month still, depending on, you know, kind of the things you're working on. How do you manage that now? It's probably not ramen and things like that, but not knowing, you know, for, for most of us, we have a salary and we say, okay, this is, this is my budget for next month and next year, things like that. And we can plan. How do, how do you go about managing that? Um, so I think for us, it's my husband's, you know, an entrepreneur and as well. And so we've got a, what we, we consider a high risk household, right? And that neither of us yeah. have ever had a, a nine to five or a steady paycheck. Um, and I think with that partnership that we have, we have become comfortable in a certain, you know, stretch of financial freedom, right? And, uh -huh. and as we look out a few months and say, we, we know we are good, you know, through this threshold, or we know that we're stockpiling, you know, X amount every month into a Roth IRA or into our kids' college funds, you know, there's a baseline level that we've become comfortable with that for us is peace of mind. And, and that's, unique to us, right? And I think what I've learned and loved about the third decade is that, that this is so much about your personal goal and your personal, mm -hmm. you know, level of, of comfort. And I think many financial advisors might look at us and say, boy, we would expect you to have a lot more in X or a lot more in Y or less in real estate or whatever. Yeah. But for us, kind of that risk-taking temperament changes the way that we look at money and that we are more risk tolerant. Um, yep. and that we've never had a 401k matching from an employer. <laughs> That's just not a thing that happens in most entrepreneurs' lives. And so we've had to allocate our risks and, you know, make different choices accordingly. 
And so I think with that, yeah, it just comes a different level of comfort that we as a, as a family have become anchored to. And there's kind of a baseline. So as it relates to in- income fluctuating, there's always a baseline. There's a dollar amount that we need to hit every month to, you know, stabilize ourselves. And then everything on top of that is gravy. Um, yeah. And, you know, we can do creative things with that or, or travel with that or invest that or buy property with that or whatever it might come. But, but we have established a, a baseline kind of level of comfort. And as long as we meet that through <laughs> whatever way it comes, you know, we're fine. It took, it's probably second nature now that you do this and you have these conversations. But I would imagine it took some real upfront and honest conversations at the beginning, right? Because mm-hmm. the last thing you would want is to have one spouse be okay with that. Right. And then the other one kind of pull their hair out all the time because of that risk. Totally. And as an entrepreneur too, and I, I think it's not unique to necessarily to be an entrepreneur, but, you know, you take on debt and, and, and some debt is out of necessity. Some debt is foolish and some debt is strategic. Right. Um, and, and we have, you know, taken out a lot of strategic debt. To, to launch projects we believe in or to um, pursue things that we believe are worth pursuing in our lifetime. And so I think we also have a different balance of our ratio of, of debt to income and, you know, how we look at debt strategically and yeah. lean into debt strategically with confidence, not fear. But that, that took us a while to get to, to say like, yes, we believe we should charge that to a credit card and we'll worry about that <laughs> later. Right. Um and those are choices that we, we just had to kind of, you know, um, segment in our mind how we use different vehicles for different things. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's it's huge to be able to be at the place you are now to, to leverage that and mm-hmm. to say, okay, we understand it. I think people get into such a problem with debt and spending when when there isn't an understanding piece to it. Because quite honestly, that's that's by design. Uh mm-hmm. The, the less you understand about the debt you're taking out and about your payments and things like that, uh, the more money those those companies issuing the debt get. Um, Absolutely. So it, it comes from an understanding and an agreement from both sides, I think. So yeah. that's pretty cool to hear. And I think there's also, you know, I think there's a there's a misnomer that all debt is bad debt, right? Yeah. And you should have no debt. And and I think I've had personally had to overcome that and that I was so narrowly focused for so many years of like, you got to get, you know, the credit card's down to zero. We've got to pay off the house. You've got to pay off the car. It's like, well, wait a second. (laughs) There are better ways to use that same money right now. And, you know, a low interest mortgage, you know, if you can pay it off early, fantastic. But if you can use those dollars elsewhere to either amplify your income or make investments and other things you care about, let's be real about the real cost of that dollar. And so I've had to break my own mental models yeah. Um. And my husband's been incredibly supportive of that. He's like, how stressed are you really that that credit card is still at, you know, X amount? And it's like, yeah. um, well, I'm pretty stressed, but let's be real <laughs> about the percentage rate on that card. It's 0% for 20 months. So why are we stressed right. about that one? You know? Right. Um, so again, just looking at each individual thing and questioning however you were raised or conditioned or, you know, what was taught to you right, wrong or indifferent and just, and just challenging yourself. I think it's been part of our process. I would have never guessed that about you and knowing you and, and, mm-hmm. and kind of even I bet somebody just reading your resume would never guess. Oh yeah. Debt probably, or might stress her out. Super stressful. <laughs> but not, not for any good reason. I think is what I realized yeah. over the years. It's like, we have, why am I, I'm worried about this arbitrary external pressure of some credit card company that's going to come like, no, right. it, <laughs> right. why, and I, why am I, I worried about that? I get that. I get that so much. And I, I love that you're able to overcome that. I think, you know, and I've talked to some people as well, some of our participants and stuff, who just can't overcome that too. Mm-hmm. And my my message to them is kind of 
okay, as long as you understand and you get the the big picture, if the debt is something that's really stressful and you want to pay it off, if you understand the big picture, you're going to find a way to pay it off and make savings. Exactly. You're going to find a way to do that because you're understanding how everything's interworking. It's when you, we kind of blindly make those decisions and say, yep, all debt is bad debt, period, and, and it really stresses me out. The more the understanding comes, um, I think then you can make an informed decision and, and either get over those fears or realize, I got to live with this fear, but I can do other things to help mitigate it. Creative, right? I mean, we had yeah. some startup debt um, from a, a prior venture that we rolled into a second line on our house. And then we refied the house with it rolled in. And that yeah. ended up saving us you know, a lot of money in the long term. And so I think it's also the opportunity to look creatively at what other assets do you have or what other levers can you pull or even moving from a high interest credit card to a 0% interest credit card if you can right. qualify, right? Like yeah. there's just creative ways to not get boxed in. And, and so again, I think part of our entrepreneurial spirit, it's like, wait a second, there, there's a different way forward. And if we can think in an entrepreneurial way about all of this, that to us has really clarified a lot of our financial decisions. So obviously the, the financial piece of, of being under an entrepreneur is, you know, kind of the main reason for this talk and why we wanted to hear from you specifically. But a big, big mission of the third decade, something that we identified really early on was kind of the impact we could have in empowering our participants to follow their passions, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Far too often, I think young people get into a space of, you know, I just need to make money. I need to buy that house. I need to do this. And they, they get in a career or a job that they're not necessarily bought into. And the mm-hmm. financial pressures kind of force them in that way and societal pressures as well. So we're, we're big believers in the fact that, okay, if, if you start at the baseline of financial confidence, we just think that it expands the options in the worldview a little bit. Coming from somebody like you who, who was able to do that early on, if, if we have any third decaders or any people listening who are maybe thinking about making a career switch, starting something on their own, um, you know, following a passion that, that they've done, do you have any key piece or pieces of advice um, to somebody who might be thinking that way? Yeah, it's interesting you, you raise that. Um, as I mentioned, my husband's also an entrepreneur. And for years, I think we got caught in a cycle of looking at our spreadsheet of just the, the financial, you know, dollars and cents. Yeah. And he, a few years ago, developed a spreadsheet about life experiences and started mm-hmm. to map how many days do, you know, if we want to go on X number of camping trips with family, how many weekends do we really have before our kids turn 18? Like, let's map that out. And if we want to take X number of trips, do we want to launch a new idea? Like, how, what's our time budget effectively? And how do we think about our time budget and the choices we make over the course of our lifetime in contrast to just our financial budget? And I share that because what it opened up for us was this notion of like, yeah, it'd be great potentially to have, you know, $20 million sitting in a 401k, but, but for what, right? For what yeah. life experience are we so pressurizing ourselves to, to reach that outcome? And so I think as it relates to switching jobs or taking a leap of faith, for us, like knowing what that baseline is and saying, okay, we have six months of runway, whether it was, you know, prior work we did or savings accounts, or we've got six months of runway that we feel very comfortable with no income, we can, we can be creative and we can kick that on. And whatever that threshold is for each you know person might vary. But that 
kind of, we know we have a certain amount of time that we are covered financially, and we know we have this dream or these ideas that we want to pursue or this career we want to change into. And I think allowing ourselves the permission to, to do that fully um, and to acknowledge the, the risk of that, certainly, but also the, the opportunity cost. And we talk a lot about that as a couple. It's like, well, what's the opportunity cost of staying in this job that, you know, you might dislike or this project that you're not passionate about versus like opening yourselves up to what else could be possible that may very well generate more income, maybe not immediately, but over the long term. Right. And so I, those are some of the things that we dabble with is, is just understanding your own level of, of comfort, but not letting it hamstring you to some crazy objective, you know, X amount in X account that you're holding yourself to. I don't know that that, that doesn't inherently breed happiness right? or joy right. or, or passion in your life. And so, for, like drawing a baseline for, for me would be the advice, like draw a baseline of the minimum requirement that you can just have peace of mind. And beyond that, like, forget it, like leave, you know, <laughs> transition, right. change, take the jump. Like if you've established that for yourself and can really hold yourself to that, then everything beyond that, you really have to let go of temporarily because it's yeah. likely not going to be, you know, lucrative right away. Um, or it might be risky for a few months as you search for the next thing. Yeah. I did some volunteer work after college and then, my first kind of intro to the world career job was in advertising sales and made made kind of more money than I thought it would be making at a young age, but absolutely hated it. And I remember the first time I met with a financial advisor that, that was a fiduciary financial advisor and kind of was the first person who looked at my plan overall. We were running through the retirement cash flow like we do with the third decaders. And he said, okay, when do you want to retire? And I said, I I have to be done by 50, at the very latest 55. And then he said, okay, that's gonna take that's gonna take some some real planning and stuff to do, and and some probably sacrifice and stuff right now. Then he said, let me ask you one more question. What if you didn't hate your job? Then when <laughs> then when do you, when do you need to retire? And it just the light bulb kind of clicked. Like I'm I'm working towards this arbitrary goal of retirement at 50 because I'm I'm in a career that wasn't fulfilling to me. And and that yes, retiring at fifty could be a goal. It adds flexibility and, and there's nothing wrong with having that being a goal for yourself to say, Yeah, I would love to be done working by that age. But don't sacrifice everything else for that goal would be a, a huge piece of advice. Exactly. And I think just temporarily as well, what can you put on pause, right? There's certainly been moments where we don't contribute or don't contribute as much to our kids' college fund as an example, right? And we just say we're going to put that line item in our budget on pause for six months because that's not an immediate impact to, you know, shelter and food. <laughs> so we can right. pause that for six months, and then as we take this risk and as we reassess on the other side of that risk, we can resume that. And so I, I think there's even strategic choices to make in how you allocate your spending and what can you put on pause, you know, gym memberships instead of being in person. You're on a you know, cheaper app on your phone, or there's just compromises that you have to look critically at to say we're willing to, to pair back during this time of transition to make sure that we have peace of mind and, you know, the longevity of however much cash we have. Right. Well, Courtney, this is really interesting and exciting, and I think a lot of our participants and the people listening will, will get a lot out of it, you know, not just if you're an entrepreneur, you're thinking about going that route, but if you have some fluctuation in income or you're, you're making some thoughts about budgeting. I mean, with the COVID crisis right now, we're seeing a lot of people with fluctuations in income that are having to make these decisions out of necessity as well. So really, really appreciate you being on and can't wait to watch everything that you build from here on out. 
Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you all enjoyed the conversation Courtney and I had. Please keep a lookout for our next episode in a couple weeks. Talk to you all then.